don't hit that skip button because I have huge news for you. The Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt lives. It is here. It is available to purchase. Oh, yes, I'm not kidding. We finally got our Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt out, and it's amazing. It is printed by the same company that prints for Cavity Colors and Fright Rags, which if you're a hardcore horror fan who buys a lot of horror t-shirts, I know I do, you know that's the very best and highest quality because we couldn't do anything less for our fans. It's an amazing full-color design designed by Jason Ragosta. It's very cool. It features a zombified myself, a zombified Damon, and it looks just like an awesome horror shirt because that's what we want because we're horror fans too. So we wanted to make a t-shirt that you could really sink your teeth into. Go to rewindofthelivingdead.bigcartel.com. Again, that's rewindofthelivingdead.bigcartel.com to get your t-shirt today. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Adaptations of Bram Stoker's Dracula started almost as quickly as the book was released in 1897, with stage plays and eventually the first film based upon the novel coming in 1921. For well over a hundred years, Dracula has served as the inspiration for dozens of films and TV shows, but it was 2003 when a production company bought the rights to a story that focused on only one chapter from the legendary book called The Captain's Log that detailed the journey of the doomed crew of a ship called the Demeter and how they fell victim to a bloodthirsty predator while carrying crates from Romania to London. Evil is on board this ship. This beast, it needs blood. Search everywhere. I want to kill the cursed thing. Kill it. We can't even find it. Where the bloody hell is it? There is no escape. We call him Dracula. We are only in theaters August 11th. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we get our sea legs ready and arm up with wooden stakes as we review the 2023 film, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. living dead i'm damon martin and i am the dragon of blood the relentless prince of pain patrick gara how are you <laughs> that was a lot i was like where are we going with this <laughs> well, listen there we're talking the last voyage of the demeter tonight we're talking about uh really dracula lore damon and you're much more well-read than me so I, i'm gonna let you do the bulk of like the the kind of history of all of this but when i saw this trailer i was actually genuinely excited because I think that um, the idea of like exploring a very classic form of Dracula is always exciting. And I saw that it was Andre Overdahl. I don't know if I'm butchering his name or not, but um, I know that he's a very solid director. So I got really excited. Damon, what about you seeing that imagery in that trailer and realizing, like, oh, we're going to tell a really classic Dracula story here? I was intrigued. I was I was really intrigued because um I'm not like, I don't read a ton. Like I read so much classic literature in college cause I was an English literature major. So I read so many of these like older books when I was coming in college. So I don't really spend a lot of my free time reading them now. Um, 
but I was uh, very familiar with the Dracula story. So when I heard that they were going to focus on this one chapter, which is, I'm not going to say it's a throwaway chapter. It's not, but it's not, it, it really isn't like that much. Like the captain's log chapter is just a little side chapter in the book of Dracula. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I'm saying it's not really a major major part of the story it's just right. you know basically the journey of getting him from romania to london and the ship that shows up in london basically abandoned and in the book the captain is the last man standing and he's he's basically tied to the masthead to basically you know steer the ship and then he burns up and that's basically how you know we we, we find him and that's the last survivor of the demeter um it's not, it, it is told through the captain's log, like through his, through his, you know, through his writing in the log, but I was fascinated that they took that little bit of a chapter that is again, kind of almost like a side note to the Dracula novel and turned it into a movie. Cause it is fascinating. I mean, it is kind of fascinating when you think about a voyage, a month long voyage across, you know, Europe, you know, through the ocean of Europe and then landing in London and Dracula being on board and him basically decimating this crew. Um, that's, that's interesting to me. And so when I saw the trailer and, and I knew the concept, I was kind of like, okay, you got me like, this looks pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it just, it, it invoked a lot of classic cinema that I've thought of over the years with regards to Dracula, uh, Nosferatu being like right at the top of that list. Cause you even see a little bit in the trailer that you're going to see a bit more of a, like an, an animalistic version of Dracula, the Dracula that's buried in dirt, covered in worms and rats and, and has sort of a more of a monstrous look, you know, before he, he transforms into his very debonair, uh, more monster squad self, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was really uh, kind of looking forward to it, not really knowing what I was going to get into because it's not like I delve deep into the, the, the book side of things. And like you're saying is more of a throwaway chapter than anything, but I really wanted to see what a director could do with it because I think, I think you know, those, those classic Dracula movies, they're, they're burned in every director's, you know, dream book. I don't even, I don't care. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola made Bram Stoker's Dracula because he, you know, it's just great literature and it's literature that, that I think artists want to interpret as best they can. Um, I, I believe Robert Eggers, if I'm not mistaken, is trying to get a Nosferatu movie made. He is doing a Nosferatu uh, movie. Yeah, he's actually, yeah. they were in production, I believe, when the strike happened. So, um, Right. So, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things where it's like directors want to get their hands on this material. And it's Andre Overdahl who who has done uh, Troll Hunter, which I actually really liked. Um, and uh, what scary scary stories to tell in dark? Yes, and uh, that, the autopsy. Which I think we reviewed. The, we did. We did review that when yeah. it came out a couple of years ago. And then the autopsy of Jane Doe, which is a tremendous movie. Uh, Brian mm. Cox and Emil Hirsch. Brian Cox, of course, of you know Succession fame. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> and Emil Hirsch. That's a tremendous movie. A really, really good movie. And honestly, I didn't. It wasn't that I didn't connect it with him. I when I watched it, I had no idea that Andre Overdahl directed it. But now that I look back, I'm like, oh wow, really impressive job on that movie. So yeah, he's a he's a well versed horror director, and so him getting involved in this project kind of made a lot of sense. And uh, you know, again, this is a project I mentioned during the intro. It's been in the works for 20 years. I mean, they've language, you know, it bounced around. And at one point, uh, I think it was what's her uh, is it Nomi Rapace? Is that her name? Uh, right, the, yeah, yes. she, she she was attached to the movie at one point. Um, trying to remember who else was attached to this movie at different points. Like they've had so many. Like this was in the works for so many years. Uh, Viggo Mortensen was at one point in talks to star in the movie. 
Uh, and yeah, so this has bounced around for a really long time before it eventually landed. Uh, Neil Marshall was attached to it at one point, which Neil Marshall, of course, uh, did a lot of the um, uh, of the great. Uh, he did a lot of the great uh, Game of Thrones episodes. Uh, of course, he also did Dog Soldiers. Uh, he did uh, the, Descent, the Descent, which is a film that you and I absolutely adore. Um, so, so yeah, so this has bounced around for like twenty years until it finally landed in 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 uh, Andre Overdahl's inbox, so to speak. <laughs> and he probably he's probably wringing his Swedish hands or whatever wherever his hands are from <laughs> Scandinavia somewhere and he was just like oh hell yeah and he's a capable director so I was in I was like yeah let's let's do this and I don't want to get too much into the story before we drop into spoilers but like you mentioned that it's kind of been tossed around for 20 years I almost wonder if this movie might have been better made like 19 years ago and here's my theory on that, is that this movie, without giving anything away, relies a lot on digital uh, it, you know, uh, digital animation and digital graphics, a lot. Um, and it, I can tell they're probably using a lot of volume work, which to them is probably, they're probably like, oh, great, like we don't have to go on the high seas and try to like simulate or, or try to film on the on the ocean because that's so difficult. It's It's as difficult as you can ever get filming on the ocean, ask Steven Spielberg, ask James Cameron, ask them all. It's really hard to film on open ocean, uh, but they've all tried it and they've all they've all either succeeded or, or failed. But there's still a touch of realism when you're out there in that water. And I, I something about the movie, just from an aesthetic standpoint, because I think Overdahl does have a great eye and uh, and there was a great attention to sort of the 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 texture of the film. But as it's as it pushes, there's no there's no scale. It doesn't feel like I'm on a big ship. It doesn't. It feels like I'm on a volume. It feels mm-hmm. like behind them is an LED screen lighting up the something in the background. And that's sort of. I don't think that would have happened 19 years ago. I think 19 years ago they would have tried to make at least parts of it on the open ocean, or they would have gone down to the Fox Studios in uh, in Baja California, which is just a couple hours from my house and tried to shoot it on that ship or something like that to to try and create that feeling. And I, and I feel like even though, yes, uh, a, a ship, uh, a crew that is trapped by Dracula on a ship should feel sort of claustrophobic. This movie to me lost a lot of scale really quickly, just, just on the technological side alone. And I know that probably for the producers and maybe for Overdahl himself, they were just like, cool. Like we don't have to go in the ocean. We'll just put this big screen up and it'll look real. So let me, so right away, let me address that because, um, if there's one thing I've noted on this show many, many, many times over the past three plus years we've been doing this is that I love claustrophobic horror films. I love contained horror films. I love horror films that all, again, a great example of that is the autopsy of Jane Doe. That entire movie basically takes place in one more, more or less one room. It, It takes place in the basement of a, of a funeral home. Um, very contained horror. Great. I love it. I love those kind of movies. I think that's probably why I've always had a um, a passion for zombie movies, starting with 1968's Night of the Living Dead. People trapped in a house, zombies try to gain in. I love self-contained, claustrophobic horror. The weird thing about The Last Voyage of the Demeter, because of the weird digital effects and kind of, I, I mean, just not great CGI, it never felt claustrophobic. I never got that sense of like impending doom because we're all trapped on this ship. And that makes no sense to me 
considering that we're all trapped on this ship with Dracula. Like, I should have felt that sense of claustrophobia from the moment they set sail. I never yeah. felt that, and I think that's because it just didn't feel real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just didn't feel genuine. Like, I was sitting down to the theater. Like, my initially when I sat down in the theater to watch this, I had to remind myself, and I'm serious when I say this, I had to remind myself not to not to judge this overly positively because I do like claustrophobic contained horror stories because I have such a such an enjoyment of those films. I fully admit sometimes I might judge a film a little less harshly because it's already set in a world that I enjoy, right? And so, like, I had to remind myself, like, okay, don't do that. Like, don't just because it's a self like There are, I also love, like, a, a great little uh, side piece about me, Patrick. I love disaster films, like, natural disaster <laughs> films. I have, like, a weird, like, I love Twister and I love uh, The Day After Tomorrow and, like, movies like that. Yeah. Some of them are not great, but I still enjoy them because I enjoy, like, I just enjoy a good disaster film. Kind of the same thing here where I just enjoy a good, like, you know, self-contained claustrophobic horror film. So I admit, like, I'm grading a bit on a curve sometimes because I know the genre is something I like. I didn't really, it, it is that, I mean, it all takes place on a ship. Like, 98% of this movie takes place on a ship that's in the middle of the ocean, but I never really felt like that. I never really felt that sense of, like, I'm stuck here. Like, that's what I wanted. I went into it thinking, ooh, this is going to be cool. We're stuck on this ship with a monstrosity of Dracula. I never felt that. And I think what you're talking about, because it never looked totally real, did I feel yeah. that way? Yeah. So, something on, on the execution of, of, the, of the scale of the movie did not feel right. Even, even okay, so, you know, with that, this doesn't really spoil anything, but the movie starts out at a port in Bulgaria, which is where, where they would, they're going to ship off from. Even that, like, I think of a show like Game of Thrones, which you and I both love and well, pretty much most of the world has seen you know they they found a way to like blend both cg and practical sets and locations all together to create something that felt big was it always perfect no not necessarily but it, it just felt like it was vast and lived in and even that scene that bustling scene at the bulgarian port didn't feel big it, it felt like it was on a, on a tiny it felt like it was it, it was indoors that's yeah. what it, like it was weirdly just like is this indoors this all is supposed to be outdoors and it really feels like it's just on a soundstage yeah um there was something about that and and it's weird because like there have been times in film past i think of the lost boys and at at night when they're at grandpa's house and the and the the gang of vampires are coming after them i always thought my entire life that that was shot at the at the grandpa's house where they shoot out in, in Santa Clara, it's not. They recreated the house to a T and the front yard with the leaves and the branches and the fences and everything on a soundstage, and it sold. I don't know what it was, but I was like, holy! Like it, I, it didn't learn until we reviewed that. I was like, oh my god, that wasn't even that. <laughs> and now, and I look back at it, and I still can't really see the seams of it. But I do realize, oh wow, they really cleverly designed this to feel real and big. It still felt like I was outdoors in Northern California, even though I was indoors on a set. Yeah. We talked. Uh, we we talked at length about talk to me <laughs> in July. If July was basically talk to me month, uh, at the panel. One of the Philippou brothers, I can't remember if it was Michael or Danny, I'd love to credit one of them, 
said something that I thought was, I was like, oh, that's fucking brilliant. It makes total sense. He said, bad practical effects are better than bad CG. Yeah. Both are bad. We're agreeing on that. But the bad practical is going to work out better. It just always will. You're better off trying bad practical than you are trying bad CG. It's never going to age well. And weirdly, and and I don't know the I don't know the ins and outs of this production. I don't know if they shot a lot of it during COVID, which makes it really difficult to shoot. Let's be honest. I mean, you could see it when uh, you and I both saw the Indiana Jones movie. It just looks weird. It looks weird, but they shot most of it during COVID. So something about it's off the COVID era movies are, you know, I, I don't want to judge them too harshly. And I don't know if this one falls into that category probably does based on the timeline. It does. It does fall in that time because it was, yeah. it was originally going to come out in January and they kept pushing it back. A lot of it was because of the pandemic. So yes, this is a, this is a pandemic era movie. And, and honestly, we don't review a lot of pandemic era movies because most of them were big blockbuster movies. Well, yeah. all those big blockbuster movies, uh, Ant-Man, you know, Indiana Jones, even a little bit of Mission Impossible, the flash, the flash, something about them just looks weird and plasticky and like, because I think they were working around like some pretty serious constraints. And by the way, that's fine. I, like, I'm not even faulting them for that. I'm just saying they had to work around some weird constraints and it, it reflects itself on the screen. Like you can tell that they're, 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 they're trying to position things so that people aren't too close together. There's a lot of really tight shots, a lot of very, you know, generic backgrounds. And, you know, so that way the background falls off and people are just blurry moving back because it's probably all just a bunch of CG extras because they can't have 300 people in a, in a, on a set. So something, something might've, that might've been some factor in this. I'm merely guessing, but you, you're saying it's a COVID era production that got pushed back because of COVID. Okay. And that kind of reflects in the experience a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't know when you want to get into spoilers, but I kind of want to save my plot issues for spoiler section, because I think the trailer pretty much spells out the movie for you. You're trapped on a ship with Dracula. Are you going to be able to get out is the question. And a lot of you like Damon have probably read that passage and know what happens anyway. So, you know, I don't want to get too much into it here, but that's that's the plot of the movie is in the trailer and it's pretty much just spat back to you like like as the trailer felt. Am I am I wrong? No. And they I mean, they put it up on the screen at the start of the movie. They tell you like what they tell you, like this is the story of the they, they basically tell you what happens. Like in the beginning of the movie, they put a screen up that basically says this is the story of the doomed crew of the Demeter. And I was like, did they start the movie from the end and they're running it backwards? Like what's going on here? And like, it was kind of weird. Uh, it was a really odd choice to do it that way. Um, but yeah, Damon, you, you bring that up. That's my very first note at the end of that. It's saying, you know, this is the tale of the doomed of the doomed crew of the Demeter. We literally just did uh, the Blair Witch Project, right? Yeah. The Blair Witch Project, they, they, they say at the beginning, like this is found footage that we found of this this group that are trying to do this thing. But they don't at the end go. Also, this is just a movie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. This one says because I took it and I put it in my notes. This is based on a captain's log from the novel dracula <laughs> yeah from the novel they immediately in the beginning of the movie discharge the movie they go hey yeah. it's just this is just a tale from the book <laughs> like, 
what? Like, like immediately before you show me anything, you go, it's just, it's just from a, it's just from the book Dracula. Yeah. It, it, was, really, like, huh? it, it was a really <laughs> odd choice to do that. And yeah, I, I do want to get into a lot of the story points later. I will talk about here. I do want to say this about the movie. Um, we know, I mean, the con talking about the concept, the plot of the movie is not spoiler because the plot of the movie is, we all know the plot of the movie as we've said now like four times, <laughs> It's a bunch of people on a ship who are shipping crates to London and Dracula is in one of the crates and they're trapped on the open seas with Dracula. And this is not a speedboat where they can get to another <laughs> island somewhere. They're on an old school, you know, schooner or whatever the hell they called those boats back in those days in the you know, 1800s or whatever. And there it's a month long trip from Romania to London. So they're stuck. There's not They're not getting out. Um that's the concept. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not ruining anything by telling you that. That's literally the plot of the movie. I mean, you know that going into it. The problem, without getting too into plot or anything like this, the problem is, is that this movie takes so long to get anywhere. And I don't mean the month-long journey from Romania to London. I'm talking about just the journey from introducing us to our characters to getting on the ship to discovering there's something wrong, to discovering there's a creature on board, to discovering what else. I mean, it's just, it it felt exceedingly excruciatingly long to get to everything that happens in this movie. I was stunned because when it was over, I was like, did I just sit through a three-hour movie? Because it just <laughs> felt so drawn out. Everything took forever to get there. And... Here's, here's, uh, this will, I'll, I'll dive more into this in spoiler section, but I want to mention this here. In that era, in 1897 or whatever year they're saying this takes place, I can't remember what year they actually say this takes place, but obviously 1800s, you know what I mean? We're not scientifically um, advanced. Let's just say that. We're not that scientifically advanced. A lot of people in those eras went by faith and belief. And to this day, for right or for wrong, people still a lot go by faith and believe. The I, like, So we're trapped on a ship. There's whatever, eight, seven, eight crewmen, like captain, whatever. And then, you know, and Dracula. It's David Mastalchian and a couple other guys. Yeah. And the Onion Knight. <laughs> yeah, the Onion Knight from Game of Thrones, uh, Sir Davos. Um, the idea that there's something on board that they need to be wary of it takes them so long to get there that I was like banging my head against the back of the seat in front of me in the theater, which by the way, I went to a late show on Thursday night. Me and my girlfriend were the only ones in the theater. So that was kind of a cool experience because that doesn't happen that often. Oh, um, nice. I was like banging my head against the back of the chair because we were more apt, like, before we had scientific proof to disprove a lot of things in the world, we were more apt to believe things were not true or things were true, right? Like, you know, we didn't, like, until somebody proved what gravity was, no one really knew what gravity was. Like, you explained it through other means because we didn't know what it was. That's how it works. It took them so long <laughs> to understand that they were being attacked by a creature on this vessel that I was like banging my head against the, I was, I was literally banging my head in the theater saying, just get there already. <laughs> just get there because it's only these eight or nine people on a ship. They don't have to explain this to the rest of the world. 
We're not going back to London and holding a symposium telling them about Dracula. It's just these eight dudes on a ship. It shouldn't take them that long to figure out shit's gone wrong. Like, when you see Alien, a great example of claustrophobic horror, when they see the alien pop out of Kane's stomach and go running through the freaking ship, they don't sit there and theorize for the next hour that it's actually an alien. Is this a... Hold on, Captain. Hold on. Was that an alien we just saw? No, no. It can't be an alien. But what was that that crawled out of his stomach? I don't know. It was an alien. No, it can't be an alien. That can't be explained. It's something. What is it? I don't know. Is it an alien? I don't know. That was the last voyage of the meter. That was the conversation going on for an hour of this movie. Well, so I got two things. One is that the, the character of Clemens, who, by the way, is our lead. Corey Hawkins plays the character of Clemens, who, who's uh, an Englishman trying to get back to London. Uh, he's got a background in, in medicine and astro- astro- astronomy. Ast- astronomy. Thank yes. you. Not astrology. Astronomy, the actual science. Um, is that that's a character in the in that chapter? No. Clem- OK, Clemens was made for this movie. They're just. It's the captain's log and the crew. There's okay. no it's, description there's that no I description can remember. Yeah, that I can okay. remember. There's no description like who these people are, just the captain and the men. Because it's, again, it's a it's a short chapter. It's not, from what I remember, and please forgive me if I'm getting anything wrong because I haven't read Dracula in like 20 years, but it's a small chapter. Like I said, when, they, when I saw the concept of the movie, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I had to remind myself this was in the book because it's not like a major part of the book. Right. So there, so there's the character of Clemens, which I think like they're attempting to sort of like, and weirdly, like, especially when you describe it like that, it's like, why not just make the captain the the lead of the movie? I, I don't know why that was the choice. I, I don't understand why they went that direction. Um, that's one thing. The second thing is, I think Andre Overdahl, the writers, maybe the producers, thought that going the romantic route a la Francis Ford Coppola was the way to go. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola was like three hours, right? Yeah, and it was it it, it did differ from the book in in a lot of ways, but right. Yes, but it, yeah. but there's sort of a grand romantic way. And by the way, you know, Coppola is probably one of the best directors that's ever lived. He he just has a knack for that stuff. Like I I don't know what to tell you. Overdahl, when I think of the movies that he's done that I've seen, have a punchy modern sort of like they have their own bend to them. That is that that is Overdahl. That that is his that his that is his look. Whereas I think Francis Ford Coppola very much pulled from like a romantic era of storytelling, like long form drama. And I think Overdahl sort of was like, maybe I should do what Coppola did and make kind of long form drama. There's a lot of monologues in this movie. A yeah. lot. To the a detriment of character development, which is odd because you go, well, the monologue's there to kind of build the character up. But what what is cla- what's clashing here is sort of a romantic style, monologues, and action. Because it is, I think they even try to describe it. I think the producers tried to describe it as Alien on a Victorian ship. Yeah. Well, Alien was a horror movie, like, and it didn't pretend to be anything else than it now. And again, Ridley Scott, you're talking about one of the masters of directing as well and storytelling. Like, he, you know, again, 
is Overdahl at those guys' level? Not yet necessarily, you know, but whatever. He's 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 done a bunch of great movies. I'm not I'm not trashing it at all. But those guys work on a on a level that's really hard to touch. And I don't I think Overdahl was throwing a lot of things into the pot. And I don't, you know, and again, you know, you're working with a lot of big, you know, you're working with Universal's money and they're telling you how it's got to be. And you've got to, you got to say yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And, and do what they say. Sometimes, sometimes you have to do that. Or sometimes the studio goes, we don't, we don't know. We're make a Dracula movie. Just go make it. Like, I don't know which version happened behind the scenes, but they tried too much and, and you end up with no one of those elements really paying off. Well, you mentioned the alien. I mentioned alien earlier, kind of in a joking way about like, you know, (laughs) the way they, the way they don't fully accept what's happening to them. And I'm like, I don't know why, because you know, obviously you're just trapped on a ship. You're not needing to, and and to be fair, they don't have the evidence that they had an alien An alien, just a fucking alien pops out of somebody. Oh, that's an alien. But but the time it takes them to get from point A to point B in this movie is excruciatingly long. I'd say an hour in before. (laughs) I mean, I'm just, I didn't time it, but I'm going to guess an hour in they were like, I think Dracula might be. <laughs> hold on, hold, hold on, hold on, hold whoa, on, hold, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold Did your, anyone think it could be Dracula? Hold your horses, just hold your horses. Tossing it out there. Could it be Dracula? It's like, <laughs> um, yeah. So that, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's an issue, obviously. Um, yeah, and you mentioned characters. I was actually one of the notes I took during this movie. Now that I follow your lead and take notes during a movie, um. I I noted how poor the character development was in this movie, yet they have so many monologues and so many moments. And I was thinking, again, comparing it to Alien, really an Alien, like they don't spend an exceedingly a, a, a long amount of time telling you who these characters are. But here's where, and going back to Pulp Fiction, all those characters in Alien had personality. And personality goes a long way. Thank you, Jules Winfield. Uh Personality goes a long way. When you watch Alien, all those characters had a certain personality that you attached yourself to or you didn't like right away. You know what I mean? Right away. There's a, and then obviously you end up with Ripley, who is our heroine, and everyone loves everyone loves Ripley, right? Like it, you know, yeah. and Kane, and like we, everyone had their own distinct personality on that ship. And even though Ripley is our main character, you don't totally know that in a lot of the movie because it's mm-hmm. the crew and the, yeah. she's not the captain. Like she's not Tom Skerritt. She's the, she's just one of the other crew members. So while she does have a leading role, she's not, you don't necessarily just pin her right away and say, Oh, well she's the lead. You know what I mean? They do enough de- delving of responsibility and right. personality to where you kind of get to know a little bit about everybody and their personality stands out and shines. That just never happens. Right. on Like, you there's a spotlight on Corey B. Hawkins the second this movie starts. If you can't figure out he's the lead, you're not watching this movie. They tell you he's the lead. Like yeah. they're battering you over the head that he's the lead and he's the guy you need to be paying attention to. The captain is kind of part two of that. Like he's the other kind of lead, but you definitely take him as a side character. And then hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a face on that one. 
the captain like almost disappears by well, the second but, half of this movie. By the second half, he does. First half, he's there. Second half, he's he does. A, by the way, he's alive pretty much the whole movie too. Yeah. It's not like Dallas who got you know eaten and taken away by the alien. Yeah, it's and not then, like that. And he's, then he's very much there. He's just sitting somewhere else, not well, doing anything. Well, the reason I mentioned the captain is because at least the captain has something going on at one point. Is what I'm getting at. He had something happening at one point in this movie. David Desmalchian's character, who's like his first mate, he's kind of there, and the only reason you really know him is because he's kind of at odds with Corey B. Haw- with Corey Hawkins' character because he didn't really want Corey on the ship. He didn't pick him, and then Corey ended up getting on the ship anyways through the captain, and so they're kind of at odds about it a little bit. And then Toby, who is the captain's grandson, he's the only other character, and there's don't, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of other characters in this film like there's a lot, yeah. there's like nine people on crew and there's also racist Russian <laughs> yeah. there's um, some Eastern European guy, there's a, a stowaway yeah. who doesn't talk for 45 minutes and, and the then stowaway, does. the stowaway let me just say this ahead of time, her name is Anna, she falls if you, if you, you look up in a dictionary horror movie trope There'd be a picture of the character of Anna because she literally she falls into every horror movie trope you can imagine about a sort of damsel in distress, but then becomes a hero. And it's I mean, it's just like they were it's like they were just like, hold on, this worked in this movie. Okay, let's do it. Let's give her that. Yeah. Oh, how about we do Ripley? But where she says nothing the whole movie. And then at the end, she has all the information for some reason. Yeah, it's like it's a really odd. But so like. Those are your characters you get to know, even though there's like nine characters or nine, ten, nine or ten. I can't remember how many people are on this boat on this boat. And like yeah. by the end of it, you really, truly only care about one of them, which is Corey Hawkins character. But they kind of pepper you in with a little bit of others. But like nobody had a personality. Nobody like nobody stood out in a way to where we've said this before when we've done reviews about movies. If I don't care about your character, good or bad, why do I care that you're living or dying? We've said that dozens of times with horror movies. If we love your character, we're going to be sad when you die. If we hate your character, we may be rooting for your death, but at least we care. The last thing you want in a movie, in a horror movie in particular, is to have a cast of characters that the audience just doesn't care about. And that's how I, that's how I felt about this movie. I did not really care about anybody in this movie. And it wasn't like I disliked, I like Corey Hawkins as an actor. Let me be clear about that. I actually really like him as an actor, but the character that they were, they were playing, I didn't care one way or the other about any of them really. Uh, you're not wrong, Damon, and I think we should roll right into spoilers because I can I can talk about what you're talking about right now, right off of our first category, which, by the way, our categories are brought to you by the good people over at MammothHeadwear.com. You see this hat I'm wearing right now, Damon. Look at all these tabs that I got going right here. It looks here. like it fits a, you really well. Oh, Damon, it fits me so well. And oh, the quality. It's like the it's literally the best hat I've ever had quality wise. And it fits my gigantic noggin. My my melon of a head, this massive boulder, this Demeter of a <laughs> of a head that I have that needs extra large sales. Well, Mammoth Headwear's got you covered quite literally. Go to mammothheadwear.com, enter the code rewind at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. And let me ask you a question store. about Mammoth Headwear, Patrick. When you take your hat off at the end of the night, 
is your forehead indented with the back of the strap there? Because that happened to me a lot. When I try to fit one of the regular hats on, <laughs> you can see the indentions in my head, okay? That's how tight those hats are. You don't get that with mammoth headwear. You don't. It was a hot day, so there might be a, a tad bit of redness here, Because and my, and my office is an oven. You're welcome, audience members, for because <laughs> I, I go into this summer oven to do the podcast but other than that i showed you right now there's no marks because this thing fits my head really well made with great material go to mammothheadwear.com visit them at instagram at mammothheadwear don't forget that rewind code at checkout for 10 percent off all right mm. let's get into spoilers and of course get into categories and let's talk spoilers first because a lot of the things we are kind of dancing around we need to get into um mm-hmm. okay so this film as i said is exceedingly long and um it's you sound scru- exhausted Damon. Scru- i always feel bad because you know like we never ju- come in no we never come in trying getting ready to shit on a film that's not what we do no we don't do that here not at all um this film was just excruciatingly boring for a big part of the movie because they had so many laws in action and it takes so long like i was i was talking about in, in the non-spoiler section when they can't figure out that Dracula is on board and they're just <laughs> dancing around the idea for an hour of the movie. It takes you until the final sequence of basically the last 20 minutes of the movie, when they finally decide to form up to battle Dracula in this last scene, it takes so long to get there. And I'm just like, we just spent an hour and a half getting to the point that matters. Like, we just spent an hour and a half for them to figure out something's on board, for them to all agree something's on board, and then from the, for them to all agree to do something about it. It takes so long to get there. Like, it, it's like a journey of a thousand miles, and we walked 999 miles to finally get to the one mile we needed to get to. Uh, they made a really interesting choice. So um, I like that you say uh, interesting. <laughs> oh, it's it's, an, it's interesting because you know again I don't know how I don't know if there's there's a four hour cut where like everything is on the table. I have a feeling there might be. Um, so so they're they're on this ship and we learn very early on that Clemens, played by Corey Hawkins, uh, is an educated uh, man who who has has a background in medicine and all that stuff. And then very quickly, as they're setting sail, I'd say I don't know a day into setting sail, um, one of the one of the one of the cargo a big a big crate in the cargo falls over and he's going in there to inspect it because he's been been given a tour by toby very conveniently and so he knows where to check in the stow and he finds in this big pile of dirt a stowaway a woman who is nearly dead this is early i'm gonna say 30 minutes into the movie because the first 15 is first 15 is pretty much and the bulgarian port um so about about that 30 minute mark we meet this we don't really meet her she's they the choice the interesting choice they do is they decide to make her comatose almost and he try he's trying to like nurse her back to health they choose that as opposed to maybe quickly getting to her being able to say hey i'm the food for dracula <laughs> like maybe get into that like 10 minutes later max i mean 10 feels like a lot at this point in the movie yeah because we're deep into the movie she should come to maybe after the first treatment. He's trying to give her a blood transfusion. It's kind of helping her along. By the way, that's a little bit of a shout out to uh, Near Dark because Near Dark's the only other time I've seen it in a vampire movie where they've said a blood transfusion could cure you of your your curse. Yeah. Um. So he's giving her a blood transfusion, which I didn't even know in Victorian era England 
you wouldn't just immediately die of gangrene trying to do that, but they did it. She should have came too and been like, you're all in grave fucking danger because I was in that box and a fucking monster is sucking my blood and he's on the ship with us. And now it's like, oh shit. Now everybody can like go back to back with fucking stakes and get picked off. And we can get this thing out of here in a, in, in a cool 90. Yeah. Make it action-y, make it punchy, make it over it all. Make it what he does. But well, instead, they chose to drag, they made that choice to drag that character, Anna, comatose through about uh, 70% of the movie before she can articulate everything that's going on. And then she does it kind of in a quiet corner. She doesn't really with, articulate it, though. She, she does, barely like, articulates it to Clemens. Yeah. Barely. And then in private, just to him. Yeah. Like in this quiet little corner, I'm like, I would go fuck faces. (laughs) We're in deep shit. You, you, and and I'm not just talking about, you know, the bilge where we, where we, where we're all taking dumps. I mean, we're literally in the biggest shit of your life because Dracula's on this shit with me on this, on the ship with us because he's been eating me this whole time. Yeah. And, and you messed with his one food source. So we're in trouble. Why they decided not to do that, I don't know, Damon. Yeah. Yeah, they just, again, her her waking up right away uh, and, and just telling them you're all in grave danger, we're all fucked, for lack of a better way. Like, that would have been, like, you set the tone right away that something's wrong. And then, I know I keep comparing it yeah, to She didn't even have to say Dracula. Yeah. She could just go... We are all in grave danger. Yeah. Like also, she could just do that. Can I also throw out like a little plot point that like is I, I do think is a little problematic here, an issue here. So you you create so you create Anna for the specific purpose of having her be the conduit to explain to us who Dracula is, because she's from this Romanian village where they basically sacrificed people to Dracula to keep him from just like raiding their village and killing people. They more or less sacrificed people to Dracula to keep them the rest of the town safe. That's kind of the story we get from from Anna when she gets when she finally wakes up an hour into the movie. So that's our conduit. She is our connection between not knowing and knowing who Dracula is. She's the one who says we call him Dracula. Okay, great. But how they put her in the film is they make her food for Dracula in the crate. So are we made to believe, because this is the way I thought about when they found her. So are we made to believe that the whole reason the people in the Demeter are doomed is because they, because she fell out of the crate and Hawkins or uh, 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 Clements found her and rescued her. And now Dracula wakes up pissed off and hungry and he just decides to feed on everybody. So they would have never let her out if that crate had never fallen and he had never found her, she would have just been his source of food for the month-long trip to London. All these guys would have gotten there safe and sound. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that I understand putting her I in mean, there. I mean, that's how they got the movie. That's, that's how the movie made, made, I, got I, itself I, made. I, I yeah. get that, but that's such a, that's such, to me is such a bad plot hole. Like well, that, what it is is it's a it's a massive coincidence yeah, that, just, that this that this crate fell and cracked open and she fell out. Like all they had that's to do, the big coincidence. I know yeah. I'm doing rewrite of Living Dead, and I know I'm doing the whole thing. I sometimes I try to avoid doing this because I don't want to insult professional screenwriters. I'm just a very amateur screenwriter. I am a professional writer though. All they had to do was make her a stowaway 
who is trying to get away from the Romanian village, and then she discovers she's actually trapped on the ship with Dracula. The thing she was trying to escape, her village, she ends up on the same ship as him. I mean, I mean, not not to say my idea is, uh, you know, more streamlined, but it's just more streamlined for her to just wake up and go, we're all fucked. Yeah, whatever. Like, but the point you know, is, and, and 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 you know, go, go ahead and give us the backstory. Yes, they use me as a sacrifice for Dracula, and you, and they do say in the movie they go, or you know, they basically surmise once they figure it all out. Oh, we took away his food source, so now he's hunting us. Yeah. You know, they say that, but it's like, boy, did it take a long well, time it, for that to get there. It's kind of like, again, I'm, I'm making a comparison to Alien. Let me also make another comparison to Alien 3, which is pretty much what the plot of this movie is. It's it's all these people are trapped in Alien 3. It's prisoners trapped in a prison with a with a xenomorph. They're, they have no real weapons. They have no real defense. And they try to go hunting for this creature as they start getting picked off one by one. And they realize that they are extremely and severely fucked. Okay, if you're going to if you're going to use the plot that she's his food source, okay, fine, then wake her up early and have her warn them and then they can not believe her. And then people start getting picked off and they believe her. Right. Yeah. But it takes them so long to get there to where she even explains to them what's going on. And again, she never really does. She explains it to Clemens and that's it. Um and even then, she's a still a little vague about it. Like, she doesn't totally, like, just tell him everything. She's kind of like, our village was sacrificed to a man. We called him Dracula. Yeah. And like, it was Skip just like, all that and just be like, I was in a box with Dracula, and now he's out, and he's running yeah, around and, the ship. Yeah, and like you, know you said, when they, <laughs> like, when they, why and, isn't that urgent? I don't understand. And also, if you want to throw in, like, I actually, I appreciate at one point, they're like, we took away his food source. Now he's hunting us. That could have been another nice little twist in the movie. It's like one of the crewmers gets pissed off and tries to kill Anna and goes after her because now because she woke up and they saved her, they're all screwed. They didn't like that was a that was a easy dangling plot that they could have easily thrown another little action scene at, and they just Oh, she's okay now and she was his food. Well now we're his food. Okay, cool. They just yeah. they just kind of move beyond it. Like if I was on a ship trapped with a creature that is thirsting for blood. I got like three weeks left on this bastard. And I know that like the chance of me surviving are, you know, a million to one. And the reason this thing has been unleashed and is hunting me is because the girl who was his food source has been let out and saved, rescued by our random doctor who just jumped on board 10 minutes ago. I'd be the guy with the pitchfork getting ready to throw him overboard. Like, I'd be like, you just screwed us all. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's no scene where they really, truly get angry about that. Like, that would have been the easy one. Like, there's a very, there's a very classic way you go about this, which is like sort of like the thing where it's like everyone kind of starts turning on each other. They do it a little bit, not it's very mildly, but like the opportunity was ripe in this for for mutiny, yeah, mutiny on the bow to just for them to go. We're giving her back to Dracula. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And and you could easily have the captain and Clemens on one side and little Toby on one side going, no, 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 we have to be good. We don't have to do that. But instead, what they chose to do was this. They And we talked about character development. They chose to, like, for some reason, overdevelop Clemens. Yeah. Like, he has many monologues. And the first one was a long one about sort of like, I want to understand the world better. He's a man of science and he wants to understand the world better. And it takes, but that monologue is at least five minutes long, which in a movie is eternity. It really is. 
And like, does that ever really pay off? Not really. And then he has another monologue about like, you know, his troubles. Try He's a man of color and he 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 was he worked tooth and nail to get a medical degree against all odds. And then when he got to Romania, they still didn't want him and all that. So he's heading back to London to try and find a different life. OK, I'm explaining a lot of stuff, aren't I? They They sacrificed all of those what you would call horror tropes, but they're tropes for a reason. They work. It to give him a very big story that never pays off. Never. Like, it's not like all those things that he talks about whenever they stop for five minutes and let him go on a, on a, on a monologue about his life. It's not like, it's not like at the end of the black phone where it's like all those things counted towards the solution. They don't. And so you, so what, what this move, what this movie's deeply lacking is dread because they stop all the, all the things that could have happened with dread. They stop to just go, let's, let's examine this character. Like, and, and I was, I was well, saying like, and maybe Overdahl was trying sort of the romantic idea of like, you know, the, it, it felt more like something that would be better suited to a novel than it would to this horror movie. Well, they bone themselves because the entire reason that they made Clemens as a character and made him a doctor is because when somebody gets bit, he looks at them when, when the animals get ravaged early on, he's like, this doesn't look like an infection. It looks like a bite. And then when the one guy gets bitten, he's like, and he's inspecting him. Then when he finds Anna, he knows to give her transfusions of blood. Like they literally created a character to solve problems that didn't need solutions. Right. And then he ends up being the biggest hurdle <clears throat> to figuring out what they're going up against because he keeps saying, this can't be what you're telling me. It is. This can't be a creature of the night who feeds on blood. Like they make the man of science the biggest obstacle to just self-realizing that they're facing a supernatural creature that can kill them. He's butting heads against that for like 80% of the movie. And they create they created him as a solution to problems that did not exist. They created him as a problem when there's an infection. Oh, it's an infection. It's not this. It's bite marks. They're just over-explaining things. And they need yeah. a doctor to do that. And so they made him a doctor. One last thing I got to mention before we get to to um to categories. I got to say this, okay? This is just with the ending in particular. As soon as we meet Clemens and Anna, my first thought is these two are surviving. Right. Because at the very beginning of the story, where we talked about, like you said, this is based on the Captain's Log in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Nobody makes it. Okay, let me spoiler alert. No one makes it out alive. The captain's the last one alive, and they find him tied to the masthead, and he's dead. That's all they find. And in the book, a giant, huge dog goes leaping out of the ship, and they're all like, what the hell? And that's Dracula escaping the ship. That's literally it. That's all they say in the book. So as soon as we met Hawkins or and Anna, I was like, one of these people, one or both of them is going to make it, aren't they? They're going to find us. They're going to find a way to get around it. And sure enough, at the end of the movie, they go full Titanic with, <laughs> with, uh, Clemens and Anna escaping on a piece of wood. almost like, you know, Hooper and Brody and jaws <laughs> escaping, a, escaping a burning ship that's sinking, which by the way, still made it to shore. 
Um, they made it on there, and then, of course, they did sacrifice one of them because Anna had gotten bitten, and so she ended up turning, and so she left, and she burned, and oh, it's so sad. Uh, and then and then later in the <laughs> That movie, did feel like a, a bite back at Titanic. You know, what, you know what I was waiting for? I swear to God, I thought this was going to happen. So at the very end of the movie, we find out that Hawkins is now in London, and he's hunting for Dracula. And yes. Dracula's out there in London, and I was just like... I was waiting for it, dude. Here's what I was waiting for, Pat. Tell me, tell me that you did. If this wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't have said this is just the perfect ending to this movie for everything that's gone on. Tell me this. So we know his name is Clemens, right? He's in a bar. He's shaved his beard down to a to a proper goatee. He's got a, you know, he looks like a, he looks like a doctor now. He looks He's like a just, dapper gentleman, just, yeah, dapper, dapper gentleman. London gentleman. Tell me. If he would not, if the barkeep would have said, you know, he said, because he talks to the bartender at one point and he says something to him, tell me you would not have been shocked that the bartender says, what's your name, sir? And he says, Abraham Van Helsing. He changed his name to Van Helsing and now he's hunting Dracula. Tell me that would not have been like the perfect ending to what they tried to create for this movie. Because I was like, he's going to say his fucking name is Van Helsing and I'm going to lose my shit. Because no one, the whole idea of this movie, Patrick, the whole premise of this movie is that no one makes it out alive. And I am a big, big fan of dour horror films like that, that you just yeah. know that like when we get to the end, like we've talked about the thing, which is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. One of the reasons that movie is so amazing is because at the end, when it's just, uh, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Kurt, Clem- uh, Kurt, in it. When it's Kurt Russell and, uh, oh, and, oh, and, oh. and yeah, and, and Keith David at the end of the yes. movie, they're both a little standoffish because they're not totally sure that one of them is not the alien. But what we do know for sure is neither one of them are getting out of this. They're in the middle of the Antarctic. It's good to the, yeah. the warmth is going to go away. They're going to die there, but at least they stopped the alien. That's the entire plot. And when you get there, you're kind of like, damn, that's pretty awesome. Like that's a, you know, that's a cool ending. I knew right away that Anna and or or Clemens were going to make it and I was going to be really pissed off about it because the entire premise of this movie is that the crew was doomed from the moment they stepped foot on this ship now you can get there a million different ways I get that you can get there a million different ways how you kill people how you do it how you have the attacks all that kind of stuff but the fact that they had to slick they had to stick in there that Clemens survives, and now he's hunting Dracula. That's why I was like, he's going to say his name's Van Helsing. He's going to do it. He's going to tell him his name's Van Helsing now. <laughs> tell me that would not, tell me that would have been like, oh, okay, I see what they were going for, because that that would have fit. It really would have fit. But they, they didn't do it, but boy, it was like kind of a layup. Like it, they could have, they could have put that somewhere in there. Like they could have taken a monologue out and just, and shown him like thumbing through a book. And they're like, what, what book are you reading? I, fuck off. You guys can't read. <laughs> like, what does it matter? What book I'm reading? Yeah. And then like, you know, he holds that book sacred the whole time. And it's the, you know, it's the book of the Von Helsings or whatever. And so he just, he takes that mantle. Yeah. It was a layup. If they were going to make him survive, cause you're right. Like really nobody should have gotten out of that. There's no point. In the grand story, nobody makes it out of it. So I don't know why they made them make it out of it. It, it, because they were trying to tee up a sequel. Now, uh, you know, maybe that might have been a little too cheesy to go the Van Helsing route. Uh, but either way, I don't, I don't think I don't think 
I don't think it's going to make a difference. Well, no, I'm saying like, but I'm I don't saying know like, if we're getting a Dracula they, saga from this. They went that far. I was just like, they're going to have him say, he's, I know I didn't want him to call himself Van Helsing. I'm just like, I could see it coming because it's like, sure. yeah, you you that's like at the end of the dark Knight rises when Joseph Gordon Levitt's character introduces himself and they finally give his non-adopted name and they say, what's your name? All they, all you had to do, Christopher Nolan was say his name is Dick Grayson. Would have been awesome. But the fact <laughs> that you had him go up and say, my name is Robin. Fuck you. Okay. His name's not Robin. All you had to do is say his name was Dick Grayson and you would have won. I'm not won. even a comic book guy. And I was like, why didn't he just say his name was Dick Grayson? Like, and I don't even, I don't read the comics at all. Yeah. I was like, why don't they just do that? Why didn't they do Robin? Those... Robin's his, is like alias. His, that's his code name. It's that's not like, his real name. That's like him going up and be like, yeah, my name's Robert Batman. You know, <laughs> oh, Robert Batman. Okay, cool. I am John Superman. Yeah. I'm Phil Spiderman. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Phil Speederman. Uh, anyway, sorry, but yeah, that was just like when they when they when they made Clemens survive. I was like, oh my god, they're gonna make him call himself Van Helsing. Here it comes. Here it comes. They didn't they didn't do it, but that's how they teed it up. That's how much they teed it up when he survived. Yeah. I was like, you are you are that, killing me here. Feels very studio, and it's yeah. by the way, this is Universal. I don't. I, I think I mentioned it once before, but like. Universal owns the rights to Dracula. They yeah. own the rights to all the classic monsters anyway. So I'm sure there was somebody at the studio that was like, you cannot leave this thing hanging. There has to be a way into a Dracula movie. Or, like you have I to mean, find a way into a Dracula movie. But even if they movie. didn't, they're just like, you got to have, you got to give us a hero. You got to give us a hero that survives. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's a very big studio thing. It's like, no, the hero should live. You know, yeah. like, granted, they didn't do it with Rogue One. No, they did. Which they, they could have. But folks, we could go on for hours talking about other movies. Yeah, Sorry. Damon and I are fucking fanatics. I just, we could go on. I thought of the Robin thing; it just popped in my head, and I was <laughs> like, "Why didn't you just go for Dick Grayson?" Jesus Christ! But no, that's that's what it felt like, though. They're just like they were teeing it up for Van Helsing, and I'm just like, that's that's how that's how cliche that felt in that moment. Because they're like, yeah. "Oh, of course, one guy survived the doom ship." The no, that's the whole point of the movie. That's the whole point of the movie. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's good. And I understand, like, they're just focusing on this chapter because in the book, you know, Jonathan Hark Harkness or Hark, yeah, Hark is it Harkness or Harker? Jonathan Harker is the character you meet at the very beginning of the book, and, and he's the one who meets Dracula very early on. They do it in the movie as well. Um, so people learn who Dracula is. They're almost setting it up to, like, Clemens is now our bridge to understanding Dracula. Dude, I just I don't know. You're you're telling me the entire crew, the entire ship is doomed, and yet two people almost made it out, and one person did make it out. Then you're not they're not doomed. One dude made it. They could have they could have done a lot of stuff, and they could have done a lot of things in this movie. All right, and sorry, they, and they chose what they chose. What what about what can I say? Yeah. I don't get to make cool movies. Andre Overdahl gets to make cool movies. Yeah, yeah. So all right, uh, let's get into categories now. As despondent as I am about this whole thing, uh, let's talk first about best performances we do each and every week here on the show. So Patrick, when it comes to the last voyage of the Demeter, you had a lot of monologues to choose from. Who gave the best one? <laughs> The, my best Shakespearean performer, <laughs> because everybody's talking the whole time instead of fighting Dracula. Um, it does go to Corey Hawkins, who plays Clemens. But honestly, just because he has the most screen time, he has a lot to chew on. And like I said, I think I think his story was built out at the sacrifice of sort of a fun lived in world. They opted out of the fun lived in world and went for like a deep focus on this one character 
but it still went nowhere. And that's no fault of Corey Hawkins performance. You know, he, 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 I bought, I bought what he was selling. It was just, he was selling way too much. Yeah. I mean, he was good. I like Corey Hawkins. He was great in, uh, in straight out of Compton. He was great in the walking dead. He's a really good actor. Um, and he, he did have a good performance again. You can only do so much with the material you're given. And, and, you know, he did with what he could and he was made to be the lead character. And they really, they really, really ran with that. You know, it was like Corey, it was like Corey Hawkins and, the nine other guys was basically the crew of the ship uh, is what it ended up being, which again, that's fine. Just would not have been the choice I would have made um, for me. Best performance. I always liked this guy and, and I was always, I was really happy to see him in it. And that's David Desmalchian. Um, he did a really good job of playing like the curmudgingly, the curmudgingly first mate, the guy who really didn't want Corey Hawkins on board uh, because he didn't, he, he saw Corey Hawkins as like the learned man and he needed brutes to go on board to muscle around the ship. And, you know, Corey Hawkins was a doctor and all that kind of stuff. And so they kind of butted heads early on in the movie. And then by the end, of course, David Dasmalshian's character has kind of come around, uh, you know, to Clemens' way of thinking or whatever. But I just really like that character. They ended up, by the end of the movie, you kind of forgot he wasn't the captain of the ship because he kind of took the forefront of leading the ship when the captain was just kind of like fading into the background. Why? Why was the captain fading into the background? I don't understand why. Why he wasn't like in charge of anything. And by the way, that that rolls right into our our next category, which instead of favorite character this uh, this episode, I went with favorite deckhand because we're on a ship. So why not go with a a, a slew of deckhands to choose from? My favorite deckhand was Wojciech, who uh, David Dasmachian played uh, for all the reasons you just named. Um, David Dasmachian, great character actor. By the way in the dark Knight rises or he no, is. he was in, uh, he was in the dark Knight. I think he's, I don't in, know if he no, in. He's, he's in dark Knight rises. I'm pretty sure that's he's in he that is. one too. Yeah, Cause I, now, so. I know he was the one that was in with Joker. So I think, Oh he's yeah, you're Knight. right. You're right. Dark Knight. Yeah, you're right. You are either right, way. Right. He was in a Nolan Batman. Um, yeah. but, but anyway, great character actor. Um, and you're right. He's just filled that role of the curmudgeonly. And, and I, that's what I kind of liked about him this time around is that I think normally he's kind of playful and this, he was not, he was like, he was, a, he was a proper salty deckhand yeah. and it, and it, and it felt that way. And I actually liked the setup where he didn't choose Clemens at the lineup of guys. And he, he chose some, you know, old one-eyed Willie who was like super fucking, you know, salty. And, but the, the minute Willie saw the dragon emblem on the crate, he's like, fuck that, bro. Do you know what that story's all and about? That's like, I wonder and that's why like, he didn't say anything. That was also another heavy-handed moment in the movie where they're like, it's the winged dragon. I'm not getting on this ship. And I'm like, could we just bang on the drum a little harder? There's something really bad's going on here. Like, <laughs> Yet for some reason, that doesn't come up for an hour more. Yeah. You know, I, I rest my case, but I'm just, anyway, yeah, yeah David does matching uh as Wojciech my favorite deckhand so my favorite deckhand going the reverse of yours was with Clemens and the reason I picked Clemens <laughs> is because he's a doctor yet he knows everything about a ship he is the yeah. ultimate ship's mate yet he's well, a doctor well don't forget he had one of his many monologues was I grew up on a ship yeah and my dad I, taught me all about the ships and they like, really they really made this guy the jack of all trades <laughs> Do we need the ship monologue? We, I don't think we do. It's okay. I get that he knows ships. We don't need a ship monologue. Well, all they had to do is make him to where he gets seasick. Like that would have been a cooler like twist on him. Is like he actually hates ships. Like that would have yeah, been a cooler something, twist. Something. But he knows everything. It. He's a doctor. He apparently yeah. knows. He, he was. You know, I'm surprised they didn't have him cooking four course meals in the basement with the other galley guy. Uh, he knew everything else in the damn ship. So why also, not this? If you, 
how about this truncate that whole monologue take it out and just in the moment where he saves uh toby and gets chosen he goes well you didn't have a proper blah 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 knot and he like he does the knot there and shows him and they're like oh okay he knows the shit around a ship he's coming with us yeah like and that you never would have had to revisit it yeah and, you and, know, then, you just, and, <laughs> and then you could have had him like vomiting on board and like what's wrong and he's like i don't like being on ships and they're like well it's a curious place for you to end up like, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, that could have been a fun little, like, play on that. Like, he doesn't actually know what he's doing. He's a doctor, but he doesn't really know his way around a ship. He's actually kind of scared to be here. Whatever. Yeah. But the fact, that he comes, the fact that he comes on board and he's like, yes, I could captain this ship all by myself. I'll save you all uh, medically. And uh, if you need dinner, I'll cook that, too. <laughs> yeah, he, so can do it. he can do it all. Why not Clemens? He can do it all. He's like the jack of all trades in this movie. Um, <laughs> let's talk about best scare. Uh, Patrick, this film was... A horror movie? Did you know that? Um, I, I I heard it. No, no, I, I I'm sure it was a horror movie. It yeah, starred Dracula. It so did. It did have Dracula. It did have Dracula. Uh, so, what was the best scare in the Voyage of the Demeter? Um, you know, they tried with a, quite a few Dracula jump scares that uh, that never seemed to materialize as scary. Um, the the one that genuinely got me though, at one point, I was just kind of like lulled into his just this sort of like 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 flatline state. And um, it's at one point where out of nowhere, the cook, who was another great deckhand, by the way, uh, blasts, I think it was Clemens with the butt of his gun. Yeah. And it just it, it was one of those things where just I was like, whoa, like I, I was because I, I was so like mellow at that point. I wasn't expecting uh, the, the cook to sort of throw his own little mutiny and uh, and tell everybody, like, fuck off. I'm leaving. There's a demon on this boat. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to knock you out with the butt of my gun. Like something about that just got me. It was a good jump scare. Yeah. So I will give credit where credit's due. You mentioned the Dracula jump scares didn't work. There was one jump scare from Dracula that did work and I did enjoy it. And it was when he basically first appeared on the deck with our deckhand. Oh, what's uh, his name? Olgerin, right? Uh, Olgerin, yes. When he's kind of looking around the ship and, and Dracula is kind of hiding in a corner and he's over in the shadows. And, and the one thing we notice throughout the time that Dracula's on the ship is the more he feeds, the more he grows and, and gets powerful and gains his strength back. So when we kind of first see him, he's a little frail and kind of thin. And he's kind of like, you know, he's not, he's just been, yeah. he's been surviving off of Anna's blood, but he hasn't really been feasting. So once he starts feasting on these semen, uh, Bad choice of words. Uh, when he starts, <laughs> when he starts feeding on these crewmen, um, he starts gaining power and getting bigger and more powerful and all these kind of things. But when we first see him, he's kind of like a scrawny little kind of creature like thing. And so when we see him out of the corner, he's under the shadows and he just kind of springs a trap on, on that dude. And and that's to me was like a pretty effective jump scare because uh, every other time we see Dracula, you kind of see it coming uh, because he keeps getting bigger and bigger and it's kind of hard to avoid him. But in that moment, he was kind of like a littler, smaller, frailer version of Dracula. And we just yeah. kind of, we see a blink of him in the corner and then he springs out like a Jaguar. So that was a pretty <laughs> good one. So fair enough. All right, let's talk about uh, best gore. Uh, Patrick, what was the best gore in uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter? I think the best gore uh, came from um, what I, I guess I, I label it the Russian neck. Um, there is a Russian, uh, one of the Russian deckhands, a bit Petro of a shithead, bit Petrosky, of an asshole. Petrosky, yes. But yeah, a bit of, bit of a, is that Russian or that's that? Petrosky sounds... I think it's Polish. Polish. I think he's Polish. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Short answer is I don't know. But but he's he's a bit of a shithead, and he says some shitty things to Clemens, and so you know the next scene is basically a layup for him to die. Yeah. 
and uh and dracula finds him and rips the fuck out of his neck and Ugh. and there at first it's sort of like oh he just kind of caught him and you see the blood and he's trying to hold. but then there's a shot you know moments later where they're just the camera's sort of right over the top of him and you see the tearing and the gore and the and the spilling of the blood and it's pretty impressive i was like that's a pretty fucking gory shot yeah, yeah, they did. They did do a good one with that, and that was definitely the goriest kill on the on in the entire movie. And they definitely went for it in that one. Um, for me, it was a little less so gory, but just also kind of like my one of my. I know it sounds terrible when I say one of my favorite moments of the movie because when you're talking about a doomed crew and you're talking about like people surviving, like I was just like they're setting this up again. As I said right from the beginning, I was like someone's making it out of here. Like there's no way they're going to kill everybody because they're just setting it up too well. And I, it would have been nice not to say I was like rooting for everyone to die, but that was the whole premise of the story. So it would have been that is when, when Dracula attacks Toby and we see the blood go flying with that one. I thought that was pretty good. Toby's this little kid. He's nine years old in the movie. He's kind of like the one you're like, Oh man, they're not going to kill the little kid. They actually kill him pretty like I don't say early on, but they kill him like, you know, half hour, like a half hour before the movie ends. Like you're expecting Toby to be one of the last ones to go. You're like, Oh no, not Toby. No, they kill him. They, they, they attack him pretty curly, pretty, uh, pretty midway through the movie and kind of leave him there to die. Um, yeah. so yeah. Also, can I also mention with that gore, but also another, like issue i have with this is that dracula was feeding on anna for god knows how many days at that point um they find her they give her transfusions and she makes it when the other crewman gets bit he gets turned into a vampire and then the same thing happens to toby and the same thing happens to anna again when she gets bit later in the movie can we have like a, a, a just a general idea of what actually turns you into a vampire? Because the whole idea that the transfusion saved Anna and they kind of tried to explain it at one point, but it didn't really make sense. Like the blood loss was too great or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, but he was feeding on Anna for days. Yet she was able to be. I guess sick. he was like taking sips of her. I think is what they kind of. But they imply. but they never but they never say like you get bitten by Dracula you turn. Like that's the whole idea. I think they, if he gets you close to death, you turn. It was. It didn't make any it's, sense. It's it's messy. It's like, and I kind of had a note for that. Like, I think that just the mythology in general for this one was a little bit messy. Like, like the whole sun sunlight definitely messes him up, but um, a crucifix won't. But the Toby, the Toby death was so impactful in that moment, and it was good. I actually was like, oh, because I thought they're going to have him get away. And he didn't. They had Dracula kill the little boy, and I was like, oh, damn. Like, they really raised I appreciated that they went for that. But then they let him live again. Like, they brought it, like, they got saved again, and then they had to, you know, they later brought him out, and he burned up when he hit the sun. I mean, he wasn't much saved. He was but pretty was, much in a dire situation. He was, but, like, it would have been just, like, in that moment if he was just, like, that was... Yeah, full, that, full on, full, full yeah, on like dead. Like they, yeah, they, they he feasted on him. He's a little boy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have as much blood as the men, so he just drained him. Like, that yeah. would have been a cooler thing. But even that, they're like, hold on now, hold on. We got to let the grandpa have his final few moments with his grandson before he says goodbye. Like, again, more impactful if he just off the kid. You're like, oh, man, the stakes are really high here because it right. just killed the little kid. Yeah, they kind of like they the, any chance there was for urgency, they would kind of stamp it down. They didn't want the urgency. They never wanted the tension to just go way too high so that they had to act immediately. Like they were always giving them a chance to kind of reset. Well, that's what I said. Every, as soon as this movie started, it's like someone's making it out of here. That's not the <laughs> feeling I wanted to have. Like they just kept and they kept giving you opportunities for people to come back. 
they should have gone full scream six and seven and or five and six and just like fucking everybody survived. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want I want Reservoir Dogs by the end of this thing. I want everyone <laughs> dead. Come on. Uh, what was your favorite death uh, in, in the last? We're talking about all these people being saved. There actually were a few people who did die. Uh, so what was your favorite death in Voyage uh, of the Demeter? Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah, truth be told. Everybody dies except one. So, you know, they, they kind of they, they try to live up to it. They, the character they added to the story is the character who ends up surviving, interestingly enough. But my favorite death actually went to uh, uh, Olgerin. Now, uh, Olgerin was another one where I was like, oh, this guy's the perfect opportunity because they don't say it out loud. But it seems like he's Slavic. They, they seem they seem to imply that. And I was like, he should like they, they almost were like, let's give him the ability to be like, I know this legend and I know what that dragon symbol means on that crate. And for some reason they didn't go down that road. They decided to wait. But anyway, he meets a fiery death because he gets turned by Dracula and, uh, and, and he's like kind of feverishly dying out and they bring him out there. He's out, he's out in the sunlight tied up cause he's trying to attack people cause he's turning. Um, and as the sun hits him, he burns a nasty one. I mean, he really, he really burns to a crisp. It's a little too CG, unfortunately. Uh, I wish it would have been, uh, maybe, you know, I don't know, trick of the camera where you just kind of show a glimpse of him, like bursting into flames. And then, and again, back to what the Philippu brothers were saying, like just now cut to like a charring body burned, like, 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 like fast forward a little bit. Don't try to show the deterioration in digital just cut to a body that's now on fire and kind of wriggling a little bit. That's now beyond recognition. Like just go, go that route instead of what they did, which is sort of a weird digital burn that didn't, I don't know. It, yeah, it didn't digital, ring true. digital fire is tough and it, and it didn't look, yeah. it didn't look great. Yeah. It didn't look great. And, and it wasn't always bad. Like sometimes the blistering would look cool. Like there was some, there were good moments, but I think they, they, they went too heavy on like, let's just leave the camera on it and let it happen. And I was like, I don't think, this digital's not that good that I would leave it on there. Yeah. So for me, best death, I'm going back to your best gore, which was Petrovsky. I thought he had the best death because it was the most graphic and also the most sudden. And unlike everybody else, he didn't survive. He didn't make it. Like, they bled him out on the ship. He died right there. And then Dracula attacked his neck and pretty much ripped his neck out. And you say best gore. I said best death. I just thought that was the coolest one because yeah. he went for it, man. He did not. There was no, like, I'm saving something for a snack for later. He just went Dude. full bore on the neck and took it out. Uh, and that was a good death. Real quick, before we get to the other categories, can I mention also, because we're going to talk about another Dracula thing here in a second, the CG problems also really start with Dracula because they make, True. let me be clear. I actually, one thing I really did like about this movie, I know it sounds like I hated everything about this movie. I really didn't. <laughs> I love the concept. I didn't like the execution. I loved the idea that they used a more monstrous Dracula, like quote unquote yeah. monstrous Dracula, not like the suave, like Gary Oldman looking dude. It's mm -hmm. a monstrous Dracula. I enjoyed that. I was actually kind of digging that. I was like, Oh, that's cool. They're going for like that version of it. Okay, cool. But it was so much CG, so yeah. much digital effects. And suddenly he's flying like he's got bat wings all of a sudden. And he's like this giant. He would look, you know what he looked like? Did you watch Midnight Mass? Uh, the yeah. Uh, yeah. He looked like the creature in Midnight Mass, which the creature in Midnight Mass was terrifying and actually really, really cool. That's kind of what they did with this one. They kind of made it look like that. Like he was like this winged giant dragon looking bat creature. Right. And every time that they showed more and more of him because when he's in the shadows he was scarier 
when yeah. they started showing you his face and stuff, you're like, this is just really not good effects. Like, this is way too much digital effects with the Dracula. Yeah, it, it's and often sometimes you're sometimes you're you're pinned down by like again this was shot during COVID times they were like we can't just sit, get a guy into a into a Dracula suit for seven hours the risk of like infecting him I get that I understand but you you said it right there it looks better in the shadows it looks better in the dark like play that game okay we can't put a guy in incredible prosthetics for eight hours so put him in the very like general version of it and keep him in the shadows and let his eyes glint yeah something like that like less is more we just talked about that with the blair witch we never even see the blair witch i'm scared to sh- i'm she in here right now like you know what i mean like i don't know what to be scared of and it, it was plenty like my mind fills in enough to to go okay we don't need to do that and i was disappointed that they relied a lot on the full CG Dracula because it doesn't sell. Yeah, it's just it's just not great. And as you said, as we keep saying in this podcast, bad practical effects are always better than bad digital effects because the digital effects you see through immediately. And yeah. I I understand you can't have a you know maybe you don't want to have a guy in prosthetics for seven eight hours. And also, it's not cheap. I mean, I know digital effects may sound like way more expensive, but it's also not cheap to pay for makeup artists and continuity and all these different things. But yeah, that takes a crew. So yeah. then you're you're paying that crew to work you know sixteen hours a day yeah. um, to to get a guy in and out of a suit and make sure it functions the entire time. It is probably cheaper just to have one or two guys in a in a in a studio somewhere digitally creating it for you. But let's go to the next category where I will tell you what they could have done and it would have worked. Our next right. category is one you picked, Patrick, and that is best no- best Nosferatu looking vampire. Uh, <laughs> you know how close I was to going best Nosferatu looking motherfucker. I was yeah. so close to writing that in there, but I was like, yeah. Let me be clear. <laughs> So what we're I assume we're talking about here is like the one who doesn't look like Gary Oldman, like the non exactly. the non traditional Bella Lugosi, uh, you know, Monster Squad Dracula, like the one who doesn't look like the the the, the Count. You know what I mean? Like it's a more monster right. a more monstrous version. Yeah, we're looking at more of that Nosferatu, the the balding head, the long teeth, the long face, and 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 the long pointy ears. It's, all, it's someone that's almost looks like they're transitioning from bat to human. Yeah. So, who is your best Nosferatu? Who is your favorite Nosferatu looking motherfucker? When you saw this in the credits, did you know right away who Max Shrek was? Of course, I did. He is okay. Good. I, you know, your fellow cinephile, Max Count, Shrek, Count Orlock himself. Count. Orlock himself from Shadow of the Vampire. And if you have not seen Shadow of the Vampire, go see that. Man, I tell you, some movies like are like they just they stand all out on their own. Like and it wasn't like Shadow of the Vampire was like a super popular movie, but it's basically about the making of the movie Nosferatu. Right, right. And Max Shrek, the character, is played by Willem Dafoe, who you don't have to put a lot of makeup on Willem Dafoe to get him into Nosferatu mode, but they do. They put they put makeup on him, and he's the quirkiest, weirdest, creepy Dracula version, like Nosferatu looking Dracula you'll find. And I I really enjoyed him because he had a ton of character and is very non traditional to the Dracula storyline. Like he just looks like Nosferatu. He may even be Nosferatu for all we know, but 
as far as he is portraying himself on screen, he is an actor. And I, I fucking love, I love Shadow the Vampire. It's a really good movie. And that's why I'm super excited for Robert Eggers Nosferatu because I love Robert Eggers. I think we've defined that on the show before. Uh, although we've never reviewed a Robert Eggers we movie on the show. No, The Witch, which I thought was great. I like The Lighthouse. It's weird. And I don't know it's a movie I'll really revisit, but I enjoyed it. Um, I love The Northman. So yeah, like when yeah. he does Nosferatu, I'm way into seeing that. And I, like, I think that's going to be tremendous. Uh, I can't wait to see that. So I cheated a little bit, Patrick, because we're basically what I took this category to mean is like the more monstrous vampire, the more yeah, monstrous. Totally. And, uh, that's you're correct. Yeah. And so, you know, there's not a lot of monstrous Draculas, but there are monstrous vampires. And that's what I went for. And this is where I go back to practical effects work better. And the movie and the example I'm going to use of the monstrous vampire, the, there's just a very limited speech, you know, just he's, they're there to drink blood. The, the vampires from 30 days of night. Yeah, they're good. Those they're, they're cool. Those are the best played by the lead vampire whose name is I wrote it down here. They didn't really it's, tell us. What's his name? Marlo, uh, Marlo Danny Houston. Yes. Uh, Angelica yeah. Houston's brother. Uh, as we found out, as I found out fairly recently, I was like, oh, that's her brother. Well, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. yeah. Danny Houston, who played the lead vampire in 30 days a night. Um, that's the monstrous vampire that I like teeth, jagged claws, creepy as shit. Black eyes, like Black a dog's eyes. Evil, evil. Just, I mean, they're there to feed. That's all they're there for. There's no conversation. There's no romanticism. It reminds me, it reminds me of the line, uh, uh, of uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, which is a, a movie very underrated. I like John Carpenter's Vampires a lot, but there's a line where James Woods' character is talking to the priest, and he's just like, uh, they don't sleep in Coven's lime to tapita. They're not romantic. He's like, garlic? You want to try garlic? Put garlic around your neck. Watch as one of these buggers binge you over and walk, walk up your strotted chocolate way, sucking the blood out of you. <laughs> like they, they, he basically saying the, vamp, the vampires in Vampire in, in John Carpenter's vampires are monsters. They're not, you yeah, know, they're, yeah. they're just, they're bloodsuckers. That's what 30 days a night. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you need to copy Danny Houston's character from 30 days a night, but that is how you could do a practical effects. That's not full on monster. That is still yeah. utterly terrifying. That is one of the best vampire movies ever made. In my opinion, I like the comic as well, but yeah, me too. The, the vampires in that movie are freaking terrifying. And they're practical. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're practical. They're creepy. They're 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 made up. They're bloody. They're gross. They're claws. Their teeth. Everything. But it's all practical. That's the version I would have preferred for this Dracula. If you're going to make it monster and you don't want to go full CG, but you can't afford to put a guy into makeup and you have literally a suit made for him, go that route. Because mm -hmm. I would argue, Patrick, the, the vampires in Thirty Days a Night are some of the best vampires across all vampire films ever. Yeah, they're scary shit, and and they are animalistic. I mean, it, that that's an interesting choice because they're actually really close to human. They're almost just off human. Yeah. Whereas uh, uh, Nosferatu or even, even Max Shrek, yeah. he, he looks far less human than the Thirty Days of Night vampires do. But that's um, what that's what I'm saying. It's but, about the attitude of the monstrosity exactly, that they are. Yes. You know. No, exactly. Yes. And and I love 30 days a night. We'll have to, we'll have to review it at some point. Yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. Like you can make a character, a monster without just putting him in full on CG yeah. and turning him into a winged 
you know, creature. You know what I mean? Like those those vampires in 30 Days a Night were freaking terrifying. And as you said, they didn't look that far from being human, but they were just far enough in the way they carried themselves to where they were freaking yeah. scary. And I, I don't fault Overdahl and company for trying to achieve the bat-like version of Dracula. I like, again, I was kind of waiting for that. To, I was like, when are we getting that? Like, what's taking so long yeah. to get that? COVID might have, now, this is another thing, like uh, the the Thing uh, sequel, or the Thing prequel, rather, from 2011. Yeah. Like, the director fully intended and, and, and actually shot fully practical effects, and then the studio just overrode him and, and colored everything over in CG and he like disavowed himself of the movie because he's like, you guys fucked me. No one's going to like this movie now. And, and, and it, you know, I wonder if Overdahl's original idea was like, no, it's going to be this incredible practical effects that we're going to do. And then COVID got in the way of that. I don't know that that's not yeah. the case, but I appreciate that they tried to go the monstrous route. Well, and again, this goes back to my entire argument with this whole movie concept is better than execution the concept of a monstrous dracula is really cool i actually really like that version yeah it's just the execution with the cg didn't work just like the concept of the doomed crew of the demeter the payoff in the actual movie just didn't work right but the concept is great so i don't really blame like i actually preferred that they went the monstrous route that it wasn't some weird i keep saying gary old because that's bram circus dracula the francis Ford coppola movie but like that's what i'm saying like the romantic bella lugosi yeah, they, didn't, like go they, romantic, they, they yeah. didn't go that route they went for the monster i dug that i just didn't like how they did it yeah. And I, and again, like I'm actually not going to fault him for it at all because I don't know what the original plan might have been. Uh, you know, best laid plans go out the window on a perfectly well running set. Never mind a set that's trying to go through uh, through COVID. And, you know, I, I respect them for trying to get the movie out there. Yeah. So next category, Patrick, let's talk about remake, sequel or leave it alone. And that's where we look at the movie we're reviewing. and We basically come up with the idea. Should they remake this movie? Should they give it a sequel or should they just leave it alone? So, Patrick, when it comes to the last voyage of the demeter remake sequel leave it alone boy i think i think i'm gonna say leave it alone and uh, here's why <laughs> i don't think i don't think it's gonna work because i don't think i because i like my knee-jerk reaction was like oh let's remake it but what i mean by remake is you want to tell this high seas tale of harrowing horror then you need to get on the high seas yeah. or you need to get in a giant tank studio and like i said we're going to mexico and get on the you need to do the thing that like no production wants to do anymore they just don't so if if you're going to remake it outside of the the covid era and try to go a little bit bigger they're still going to pull that shit i know they will it's probably no fault of the director they're just going to go we can't afford it we won't pay for that not going to happen it's do it in a studio, do it with a volume. We'll put some rain in. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. That's why I'm like, just leave it alone. If, if we're not, if we're not going to do it that way, the, the really hardy way, it, it's not going to, it's not going to work. So my answer is very interesting, Patrick, because, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, Bram Stoker's Dracula has been around since 1897. It's been a very, it's been around for over a hundred years. So I'm going to go remake you're gonna like my little caveat here remake it in 1977 hmm. go back in time to make it because jaws came out in 75 they had to do it all practically or on ships and all yeah. that kind of stuff go back in time and make the same movie but make it in 1977 when you didn't have the benefit of digital effects you had to be on a real yeah. ship you know you had to make the real monster all those kind of things because <laughs> then you would have got the movie we're talking about because as i said 
if you actually like we talked about the premise of the movie alien on a on a on a ship on a victorian ship that sounds awesome yeah if you would have made that movie i would have been like fuck yeah this movie's awesome they didn't make that movie though the premise of the movie is that the actual yeah. movie is not so give this to ridley scott in 1980 <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right you're right yeah. yeah i get i get what you're saying yeah 1981 82 like around that time you know what i mean make it to where yeah. like they have to they have to go practical and they don't have the they don't have the confines of like well we could just do it later in digital we could do it in cga because that's the answer to everything these days is like i oh, will fix it we'll fix it in post you know, fix yeah. it afterwards. We'll just fix it with digital yeah. effects. Ridley would have been like, no, we're getting like a period correct schooner. Yeah. We're shooting on that. We're living on it. We're all, they, and I'm the captain. Didn't they anyway. do that? Didn't they do that for Master and Commander? The one that uh, the the, the um, uh, Russell Crowe, wasn't that actually on I a think, ship? Like, didn't they build like a full ship for that? And Amistad was another one where they built like a full size ship to do that movie. I think Master and Commander, large parts of it were shot on a real ship. Yeah. Um, but then I think a lot of it was shot in that, that Fox studio down in, in Baja, California. Yeah. But in an actual tank of water, though, they're not but doing yeah, they it. Had, uh, they had real water around them. I mean, yeah. You can drive by that set. It's right off the highway. You yeah. can and, see it. And Amistad was the same, the too, wasn't it? Amistad shot on a ship? Yeah. Wasn't that like a real ship? So Yeah. Uh, they, yeah they, a lot of movies have been shot on a boat. It's hell. You hate it. A lot of it has been shot on the open ocean. But it's fucking hell. Like, yeah. like there's no way around it. Yeah, that that's not fun filmmaking. Yeah, but that's how they had to make this film. Like, that's that would have been and then it would have been a classic. Yeah, that's why I say yeah. make it make it in 1977, 1978, because you could have because at that point Dracula was still around. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I actually really dig the premise of this movie. I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. Just the way they executed it didn't work. Um, Patrick, one of the final categories we get into every week and one of my favorites we do, which is can we survive this horror film? I hope I know the answer for both of us because if you say something different, I'm really going to get upset here. Uh, <laughs> the Last Voyage of the Demeter. Could you and I survive this horror film? Can I go first here? Sure, Damon. No! <laughs> Everyone dies. Everyone's supposed to die. If we make it, it's not the Last Voyage. Of the it's not this movie. You can't make it off the ship. You might go down fighting. You might give your last breath to try to stop Dracula. But guess what? You ain't seeing your wife and kids no more. So no, we aren't surviving this because I'm not going to make a movie where I suddenly have a guy float off on a piece of wood and pop back at the end of the credits still hunting for Dracula. I would say I'm not going to survive this movie, but for totally different reasons. Okay. Because I do believe I'd be the kind of deckhand who would have a full set of knowledge on Dracula. Like I would have been very early on, like everybody, it's Dracula. I already know. No, I don't. Need, she didn't even have to say anything. Don't worry about it. It's Dracula. I know what we got to do. We get picked off anyway. It would still happen, and I'd kill Dracula. I'd succeed. But by the by the time that has happened, the mess has been made. I'm well out into the middle of the ocean where there's nothing around. All our food sources are gone, and I ain't. I'm a shitty cook. I would have died of scurvy and exposure and gangrene and crotch rot you name it i would i would have succeeded and i would be alone on a schooner with no skills to to keep myself alive other than oh i can sail it but eventually i'm going to run out of food yeah all i care about is we're all dead because that's the whole point of the freaking story is you all die and they didn't do that they suddenly decide you know what we need to save clemens we need to put him there and we're going to change his name to van helsing and we're going to put him in london and it's all going to be awesome 
That's your rewrite of Living Dead is that he's Van Helsing. He, no, come, he, 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 he was Van Helsing the whole time. Tell me if they wouldn't have done that, it wouldn't have made sense. I mean, come on. Tell me I'm not sure, right. Why not? You know why I'm not? right. You know I'm right. If they would have said that, why not? Why come not? on. You know it. You know the whole Van Helsing. Uh, all right. <laughs> Patrick, last category here before we get out of here. Is it scary? So at the end of the day, the last voyage of the Demeter, is it scary? Uh, no, it's not scary. Um, and, and look, I, I don't want to sound like a smart ass. I, I swear, guys, I don't get off on dog in a movie. I don't. I respect Overdahl. I think he's a great director. And I think he tried his ass off. I think I think he really I think he shot for the moon, but he missed. And that happened. That happens with great directors, by the way. It doesn't. It doesn't matter like what name director you are. None of that. It's irrelevant. Um, this movie is not scary because it just it did a lot of weird things. It's almost like Overdahl wasn't interested in scaring anybody, which is, which is so weird because he's good at scaring people. Yeah, he's he's got that skill. I just think he decided to make the turn to the romantic side. And I think he, I think he should have leaned into his horror roots harder, because it seemed they seem to diffuse horror at every chance they got. Sometimes they give us superior position, but like the person that we're, we got superior position over is already looking for the thing, and we know where everything's happening. Like, like they just seem to dissolve dread at any chance they got. Yeah. Yeah, it's not scary. And and also, it, it's, I mean, the problem is even in the moments when it could be scary, they fail at the scary. And a lot of that has to come down to the digital effects, particularly with Dracula, because Dracula becomes less and less scary as the film goes on. As I mentioned, the one good scare that I really did enjoy was when he was kind of hidden in the shadows and he was more of like a little frail creature. And then when they started making him bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger, it just kind of got more ridiculous with the digital effects. And to me, that just makes it less scary. Um, and the, the jump scares weren't all that great. But again, as you said, I'm not coming here to just shit on a film and shit on a filmmaker. I actually really like a lot of Andre Overdahl's films. I, I would praise uh, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, Left, Right, and Center. I love that movie. I think he's a good filmmaker. I think there's just a lot working against him in this movie. Good cast. You know, I think the cast is solid. I, yeah. I mentioned I really like David Desmalchian. I like Corey Hawkins. I uh, enjoy Liam Cunningham, who played the captain, of course. I like a lot of the pieces of this movie. I think that's probably why it's so frustrating for me. Because, as I said, I love the premise, I hated the execution. And I think that's what really kind of ruins this movie for me, is because the bones were there. The bones were yeah. there for a good movie, and they didn't do it. I, I've critiqued a lot of movies on this on this show where I just didn't like it, and, and, and there just wasn't really a way to save it. You know what I mean? There just wasn't, it just, there was just so much of a mess, or maybe it's bad acting, or maybe it's just a really bad story, or plot holes, or whatever it is. This one is interference. This one isn't that in terms of like the story. Like this had a really strong premise. It was a really cool idea. Unfortunately, it just kind of fell short in the execution. It did. I I, I said it earlier. I think they tried to throw too much into this movie. It felt like a committee movie, yeah. and and that could be for a lot of reasons. It could have been because of the COVID stuff. They were trying to find find other ways around things. I don't know. Well, it could also be this thing was in development for twenty years. So think about how many different versions of this movie there yeah, was. How many how many pots were 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 actually be you know stewing before they actually got this thing off the ground? How many cooks were in the kitchen by the time they actually got this thing made in like twenty nineteen? And if we know anything about how a good ship is run, 
There's only one cook in the kitchen. <laughs> or or unless you find a doctor hanging out in Romania and who actually is a captain and a, and a doctor and a ship hand and he's just a freaking jack of all trades. You, you, luck, you luck out there, you might be okay. A vampire hunter. He's everything. You know a mail courier. Good old good old Clemens Van Helsing over there. Uh, <laughs> I'm Clemens, Clemens Van Helsing. Uh, all right, folks, that's our show for this week. Uh, we got a lot of good. We actually do have a lot of new movies coming out in the near future. We were talking about this before the show. We've got Saw X coming up in September. We've got uh, The Nun 2 in the Conjuring Universe coming up. Of course, we got The Exorcist Believer coming up in October. Five Nights at Freddy's, which is, I know, a film that a lot of people uh, who are a fan of the game are really excited about. I'm interested to check that out along with everybody else. So we do have a lot of really cool new horror films coming for the rest of the year, and we will still be doing, of course, classics and other ones sprinkled out in through there. So lots of good stuff coming. Uh, Make sure to follow us along on all of our social media channels on Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Rewind of the Living Dead. Uh, You'll find us on there, and you can always send us questions, comments, movies you'd like us to review. We'd love to hear from you guys, uh, and we always try to respond as best we can, so please, please, please do not hesitate to send us messages uh, on there, and uh, you can also send us messages on our own personal uh, email, which is rotlivingdead at gmail.com. That's rotlivingdead at gmail.com, and of course, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Radio, Amazon, po- Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, everywhere you find your podcast, we're there. We're like haunting you on the ship on the Demeter, except you will not make it out alive. Um, <laughs> and if you have any questions, comments, movies you'd like us to review, or how you would have rewritten the last voyage of the Demeter, feel free to send us that too. Yeah, uh, you I want to hear your rewrites. You can also hit us on our own personal social media channels. I am at Damon Martin, and you are at Director Patrick. Thank you, as always, for everyone tuning in to another edition of the Rewind of the Living Dead. We'll see you next week for another installment of the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace.